0: Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Good to see you this morning. As Brandon said, there's so much going on around here, and we don't want to take tons and tons of pulpit time to to make announcements. So please, when you get those emails, don't ignore them. Open them up. Or when we do a Facebook post or a text or something like that, pay attention to that because there's some great events coming our way. One of them is Vertical Worship is going to be here Thursday, October the 20th. We're so excited about that coming all the way from Chicago. We had advance tickets last week. They sold out, okay? They sold out the advance tickets. Now, here's the deal. Just want to give you a heads up. This Friday, if you go to UniteMusicFest.com at 3 o'clock, this Friday at 3 o'clock, you can buy them online, and I'm telling you, this thing is going to sell out. So if if you're thinking about coming, do not hesitate. Jump on there. And also, through the generosity of a lot of folks... All student tickets are free, okay? They're free for students, but you do need to get the ticket. So jump on there again, same time, Friday at 3 o'clock, and claim those student tickets if you've got a student who wants to come and be with us that night. So it's going to be a fantastic time. Then one other thing, um, Financial Peace University is something we have not done in a few years Uh, But it is a powerful program rooted in God's work to help you get control of your finances. How many would like to be out of debt, debt debt-free? Wouldn't that change your life and be nice? No, just four of us, right? The other one's like, no, pastor, I love it. I love paying interest on a burrito I bought in college in 1986. That was a good burrito. Well, all right, just stay, stay broke then. But uh, anyway, Dave Ramsey and his team there put together a, just a fantastic curriculum. It's nine weeks. Uh, church is going to pay for it. If you want to go through it's going to be free of charge for you. But we need to gauge some interest. And so that'll be in the fall. It'll be a weeknight here at the church. I think weeknight is what it's looking like. But uh, we'll get some more details. But we just want to know who's interested in coming to that. Uh, So sign up today out at the welcome counter if you've got some interest. And then we can get in touch with you and give you more details. Anybody here for the very first or second time here this morning, go ahead and raise your hand. Would you welcome our guests? So good to have you here. Thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Dave. I get to be the pastor here. God has blessed me uh, to, to be a part of this church, and, and we're about ready to celebrate 15 years. It's hard to believe, uh, but uh, next month will be 15 years that we've been together as a church, and we believe that we exist really for, for purposes, to experience God. Uh, to find family, make connections, find relationships, to discover our purpose. We believe God has given every person on this planet a purpose, and we want to help you discover that. And then finally, to transform lives. We believe when we're transformed by the grace and mercy of God, then, then he empowers us to help others find their transformation as well. So we're here to experience God, find family, discover purpose, and transform lives. And one of the most important ways that we accomplish those things is by the study and application of the Bible. We believe it to be the Word of God. So every week we take about half of our service time to uh, open up our Bibles and look in there and see what God would say to us. And we believe that no matter what you are dealing with today, God's Word has the power to speak to each one of us individually. Can you say amen this morning? So we're in this series called... I believe. And in this series, we are using a teaching tool that the Christian church has been using for about 1,700 years. And this tool is called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. Some of you grew up with the Apostles' Creed. You went to a church or denomination that recited this creed, uh, you know, every, every week. Uh, some people have told me, hey, I, I recited that creed three times a day, you know. And so you're very familiar with it. Others are like, What in the world are you talking about? I've never heard of this thing. Well, think of it this way. If you were to sit down and read the entire Bible, all 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, and and you said, I want to write a short summary of what I just read, you might come up with something that sounds a whole lot like the Apostles' Creed. It is a snapshot of some of the most important truths of christianity so let's attempt to do something today we're going to put it on the screen all right let's attempt to read it out loud together now if we can pull this off it will be an act of god okay so it's i I know i know it's just going to be tough to get this guy over here to be in time with this guy over here who happens to be sleeping just just hit him wake him up okay all right bro we're getting ready to read all right you ready ready we're going to try this thing together are you all ready say i'm ready All right, here we go. We're going to read it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead amen we made it we made it hey we've got postcards with the Apostles Creed on it for you if you want to take one home and memorize it I really encourage you to do that if you've got kids or grandkids I encourage you to help them memorize it do it as a family because what it is it's an anchor okay we're living in a world that God's word God's truths are questioned all the time And so when your kids go to a place where you know what that that they're they're not reinforcing your faith, they're challenging your faith simply memorizing this and committing it to heart, and when people say weird things about Jesus, your kids will be able to draw on that and say, no, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches about Jesus, and so it's really something to kind of anchor us to our faith, so we've got cards out there at the welcome counter, grab one, take it home with you, and memorize it. We've been taking the creed line by line, this morning we're focusing on this line, which says, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. This, of course, is talking about Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Now, it's interesting to me that uh, in the creed, there are two humans who have made their way into the creed. Most of the creed is about Jesus. Uh, God the Father is mentioned, so the Trinity's in here. God the Holy Spirit is mentioned, but most of it's about Jesus. But there's also two people, two humans In the Creed and again this has been a major teaching tool for 1700 years so it's a big deal that the early church would include two humans in this Creed one of course is Mary the mother of Jesus we talked a lot about her last week she was a teenage virgin girl chosen by God to miraculously conceive Jesus and bring him into this world a couple of things to note about Mary Mary was a human Mary was a human. Now, I know some denominations teach different things about Mary, but if we stick with the Bible, and that's what we try to do here at Crossroads, we stick with what the Scripture says. The the Bible does not teach that she was divine, that she was deity in any way, which means Mary shouldn't be worshipped. Mary shouldn't be prayed to. She should be honored because what a blessing to be chosen by God to carry his son. Amen? That's a place of honor, but it's not a place of worship because Mary herself is a human. Now, I can understand Mary being included in the creed, but the other guy, the other guy who makes his way into this creed, it just seems a little unlikely. Like, how did Pontius Pilate get into the creed? Well, let's see who he was. Luke 23 is going to tell us about him. Luke 23 in verse 13, it says, then Pilate... When he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, you have brought this man, this man being Jesus, to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I found no fault. Everybody say no fault. fault. I found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. So Pilate is the Roman governor of an area called Judea or Judea. From from the time of Jesus, all right, during the time of Jesus, he's in power for about ten years, from twenty six to thirty six uh, A.D. That's that's when he's ruling and, and reigning there. Jesus is brought before him twice. Pilate heard the accusations against Jesus, and he determined that Jesus was an innocent man. And he said, hey, I'm just going to release him because you guys have said these things about him, but I I can't find any evidence that he's doing what you say that he's doing. So I'm just going to release him. But the people would not hear of it. And because Pilate lived by power and popularity instead of living by principle and since the mob was loud and insisted on him turning Jesus over to them that's exactly what he did look at verse 20 Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus again called out to them but they shouted and said crucify him crucify him and then he said to them the third time why what evil has he done I found no reason for death in him I will therefore chastise him and let him go Verse 23, but they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And released to them the one who they requested who was wanted for rebellion and murder. He released Barabbas and, and who had been thrown into prison. He let him go, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Now, and it's just amazing to me how similar uh, the politician in this day was to the politics of our day, where often we're not ruled by principle, but we're ruled by those who yell the loudest. I don't know if you've seen that or not. You see, Pilate loved power. He was not a godly man, and even though he had examined Jesus and and found no evidence of any crime in Jesus, he folded, he buckled under the pressure and turned Jesus over to the will of the mob. Now let's talk about why is it important. Why did the early church, 1,700 years ago or so, decide that this guy needed to be in the creed? Well, number one, I I take away from that uh, what I would call... uh, historicity. We need to know, and our kids need to know, and our grandkids need to know, that our faith is historic. You see, the God of the Bible is eternal, right? He's always always been. God of the Bible is eternal, but the events in the Bible actually fit into a historical calendar, Our faith is not just floating out there somewhere by itself in history. No, it has dates and times and historical evidence uh, that, that can back it up of its existence. And as a young believer, I didn't know this. Which sometimes then when I would hear Bible stories, you know what it kind of felt like to me? It kind of felt like a fairy tale a little bit. Like a long, long time ago in a country far, far away. Right? That's when I would I would hear when I heard about David and Goliath and Daniel and the Lion's Den and Noah's Ark and all these stories. It it kind of felt fairy talish to me because I didn't realize that there, there there was historical evidence and there were dates and times that we could find throughout. Christianity. I didn't know that you could, you could set aside the Bible. I never recommend doing that. But you could set aside the Bible and study history. And you could find that in 26 AD there was a politician by the name of Pilate. And, and, and he, he ruled in a specific area, an area that we can find on the map called Judea. And in, in under Pilate's rule, there was a man, a man named Jesus. And, and even if you didn't recognize him as Messiah, we've got enough history of his existence and his life and his death. That there was a man named Jesus who was from a place that you can visit today called Nazareth. And, and they crucified that man, and then it gave birth to a movement that took over the world called Christianity. I didn't know that. And maybe you don't know that, but it's true. And it's important because, again, our kids are living in a world where their faith is going to be challenged on many levels. And they need to know that Christianity can be examined and it can stand up to every scrutiny. And even if you don't believe the Bible, you cannot deny the historicity of our faith. That's why it's important that Pilate is in the creed. Because it sets Jesus into a verifiable time and place in history. Now, another thing I want to talk about for just a moment... Uh, about the two humans in the creed. One is a well-known politician named Pilate. He has power, he has money, he's got connections, he's got soldiers, he's got resources. And the other person is Mary. Mary is most likely poor, she's powerless, she's unknown, she's a teenage girl. Of the two people, the two humans who are in the creed, who did God use in the most powerful way? Not a trick question, it was certainly Mary. It was certainly Mary. And I just want to say this. I believe that Christians should be engaged in politics. Christians should be engaged in politics. You see, someone's worldview is going to rule in the political realm. There's no such thing as a neutral politician. There's no such thing. Every politician that we vote into office or is appointed or is assigned a position, everyone who is, works in our government, they have a worldview. And they will rule... According to their world view. So you have to ask yourself, do I want a godly person making decisions that will impact me and my family? Or do I want an ungodly person making those decisions? Right? Any wise person would say, I want someone who shares my world view making those decisions. Therefore, Christians need to be engaged in politics. But let me also say this. Some Christians have made an idol out of politics. And some of us have placed way more hope in politicians than we do Jesus. And I'm just reminded by this 1,700-year-old creed this morning that God used an unknown, powerless, poor, teenage, virgin girl in a much greater way than he used a well-known, powerful politician. So watch yourself and don't let your heart become too enamored with politics or else you just might miss what God is doing on the planet. Can I get a hearty amen this morning? engage, but don't become an idol worshiper. All right, we've covered the two humans who've made their way into the creed, but let's look back at the line we're focusing on. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. Now, remember, the creed doesn't replace the word of God. It simply points us to it. So let's look at the death of Jesus in Scripture. Again, we're just going to stay right here in Luke 23 and verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Jesus is crucified. He died. He was buried. This is certainly a basic tenet of our faith, but why? Why is it so important that he actually died? I mean, he lived an awesome example while he was here on this earth. He taught many great truths. He worked miracles. He loved people. But why did he have to die? Well, last week we saw how when Adam sinned in the garden, Adam's sin broke the world. In a sense, everything about this planet and the people who lived here changed. Adam and Eve went from living in paradise with uh, unbroken fellowship with God. They went from that to now knowing things like anger and shame and guilt and violence and evil. The whole world, the cosmos had changed. So then what did God do? They tried to cover themselves. They tried to cover their own shame, cover their own sin. But God said, no, no, you can't do that. He says, you're the problem. You can't be the answer. And so God, the creator, becomes God the tailor. And he sacrifices an animal and he skins the animal and he makes coverings for Adam and Eve, and we are introduced then to this, this system of animal sacrifice. And if you study the Old Testament and the history of the Jewish people, you will see that they are constantly offering sacrifices as a way of trying to stay in fellowship with God and, and, and covering their sin. And, but the problem was it only offered temporary relief from the sting of sin. But God, God had a plan of redemption And he was going to replace that old system with what we would call the new covenant. Let's look at Colossians 1 and verse 19. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Verse 20, And by him, again Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? How's he going to do this? How is he going to reconcile heaven and earth? Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Here's what we have to understand about sin. Sin separates. That's just what sin does. If you've got a strained relationship in your life right now, in your family, a friendship, at work, at church, in your marriage. I don't care what it is. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands because that would be awkward, especially if the person's here with you. Right? But if you've got a strained relationship right now in your life, I guarantee you this. Somebody and often both parties have sinned. You've sinned against one another and that has caught that caused that strain. That has caused that separation That's what sin does. And when Adam and Eve sinned, their sin got passed to every generation and it separated us from God. So on the cross of Christ, Jesus dies as the final sacrifice or the fulfillment of that sacrificial system. Jesus called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he dies, the separation that was created by the sin of Adam is healed by the sacrifice of Jesus it's good news right that's the gospel what was broken by Adam's sin is mended by the sacrifice of Jesus look at verse 21 and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now he Jesus has reconciled now this word reconciled means to restore or to bring back together okay that's what that's what that's what the cross of Christ did that's what the blood that was shed on that cross did it took, two, it, it took this broken fellowship here, this separation, that veil. You remember we did a series called Crosswords, and we studied the cross in depth. That veil that was in the temple that separated uh, men from the, the holiness of God. When Jesus died, that veil was ripped into a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. God saying that I am now reconciling you to myself. Church, If we could just get a glimpse of what the cross of Christ means for us, it would change the way we live this life. It would change everything, everything. Look back at verse 21, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled or restored or brought back together, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you, me, you, Gary Gibson. This is the way Jesus the Christ has presented you to his father. Now, Doris, do not pass out when you hear this about your husband. Okay? All right? But here's the way that Jesus the Christ has presented Gary to God the Father. Holy. (laughs) Blameless. Every time she says it's your fault, say I'm blameless. (laughs) And above Reproach. Next time Doris questions you about something, say, How dare you question me? <laughs> you already do that, which represents most of your marriage problems. That's, <laughs> but okay, you're doing, you're doing better. How many feel holy today? How many feel blameless? Anyone feel above reproach? We don't feel it, but it is our spiritual reality. Broken, flawed, sinful people, our Savior said, I'll wash them with my own blood, and I will present them to my Father. And when my Father looks at me, he will see us together And declare that Gary is holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's what the cross of Christ, that's what his death on that cross did for us. You see, many of us live a life... Less than what God intended because we fail to see the impact of that old rugged cross we just sang about. In many of our lives, the cross is simply a sentimental symbol that reminds us of Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what happened on the cross goes much deeper than just being sentimental. Just as the sin of Adam changed everything, the cross of Christ changed everything for us. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. There are people in our lives, people probably in our own family, people in our own circle of influence and friend, and they have no idea why we come here on a Sunday morning. They have no idea why some of you men volunteer when it's 10 degrees outside and the snow is blowing and you can't feel your face and you are out there parking cars on a Sunday morning. They, they, they look at you and they say, well, I didn't want to say nothing to Steve, but that's foolish. Because to them, their eyes have not been opened. They've not had the experience that you've had with Jesus. And to them, it looks foolish. Some of you ladies, there are folks who can't figure out why, why you, will, you will take from your own resources and you'll cook a meal You'll get on that meal train, and you'll, you'll for, for weeks, you'll provide food for a family who's going through a hard time, or you'll come into this church, and you'll work in that nursery, and you will change. you. I don't know what I can say on Sunday morning, but you will change diapers that you didn't even produce. They ain't even in your bloodline, <laughs> and you will do that, and they will, they will look at you, and they will say, Foolish. Some of us have given sacrificially. We've, we've given amounts of money to, to make a church possible or for missions or, or to send kids to camp or to do the things that we do around here. And some of you will look, well, they're, they'll say they're wasting their money. Why are they doing that? From the outside, it looks foolish. But if you've been touched by his grace, if you live in his mercy, if you've been washed in his blood, it's not foolishness. The Apostle Paul says the cross, it is the power of God. When we understand what happened on that cross, it will have a deep impact in our lives. You know, the cross settles the question of value. One of the things plaguing our culture right now is is this question of value. Who's valuable in our world today? Who matters? Who counts? Who has worth? We are people desperately trying to answer this question about value. This is is why we're living in a generation that is offended by everything. Because we don't know our own worth. And so if you disagree with someone, it crushes them. If you don't affirm someone, it hurts them deeply. If you criticize someone, it destroys them. I'm not making fun. These are just these are just the things that we see in our culture right now. What is at the root of a culture being overly sensitive and being so fragile? It's a matter of worth. We're fragile because we don't understand our worth. Because we've rejected God's word and his truth concerning things like the origins of life, the purpose of life, his order for family and gender and sexuality and money and power and love. Because we've rejected his truth, we are people hungry to find our worth and we end up placing our, our value on temporary, fading things that only leave us empty. Some of us have walked through rejection. We've We went through a relationship where we were rejected. Some of us were rejected by friends, maybe even because of our faith. Some of us have been rejected in our own families. Maybe our our moms and dads, they, they played favorites and everybody knew it. We walk through rejection and it causes us to question our values. Sometimes we're not invited to things. Sometimes we're not included to something and we question our values. Sometimes we're overlooked for promotion at work and we say, hey, what's, what's, what's wrong with me? Some of us have been through a divorce or we felt the sting of an affair. We've been the victim of an affair and our spouse shows someone else over us and we say, what's wrong with me? Friends, the The brokenness of our human experience can allow many, many opportunities to question our value. But can I tell you this morning that the death of Jesus Christ forever settles the question of value. You are valuable because you were purchased by the blood of the King of Glory. Listen to me, sunshine. It ain't your looks that make you valuable. I know some of you cleaned up real good and you got a new dress on this morning. You got it. Ladies. Uh, or you got a new shirt on this morning, and, and, and you guys, you got some new cologne, you got a fresh haircut this week, and you said, well, I'm going to be styling and profiling when I go to church on Sunday morning. I, 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 hey, you're beautiful, you're handsome, but can I tell you, it's not your physical appearance that give you value. It's not your money or your title or your position that gives you value. It's not your talent. It's not your gender. It's not your sexuality. It's not how many followers or friends or likes you get on social media. It's not your popularity that gives you value. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that proves your value. The Apostle Paul said, I don't want to know anything except Christ and him crucified. Let me ask you this. Who would you die for? you saying, Pastor, how, how does the cross show us value? Well, I'm going to ask you, who would you die for? Started thinking about that this week. I made a list. Who would I give my life for? My wife. She was a little lady that was standing here in the, Blue or purple dress, I don't know what color it is. Because if I say it's blue, she'll say it's purple. We argue about everything, but I would die for her. Come on. (laughs) She appreciates that. My kids. It's six kids. I'd die for those kids. My grandkids. die for them. no question. my daughter-in-law, Sophie, you made the list she's a sweetheart. I'd die for her. I put some of you down on the list, but upon further prayer and reflection <laughs> I marked you off the list. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest this morning I, I there was a lot of whiteout at my house. So it's like, no, I remember what he'd know. I remember what she's no." It's a short list. You want, you, want to, you want to see my list get even shorter? Who would I allow my son or my daughter to die for? That list gets short in a hurry. Listen, when I say the cross gives us value, I'm not preaching a man-centered gospel. I'm not saying that we are so awesome that God couldn't live without us. God's okay, right? <laughs> he, he already had worship. He's the streets of gold, worship of angels. All of creation worships him. The rocks, the trees, the the, the beast. Uh, uh, I mean, they they all worship him. Okay. When you and I read the Bible, we are never the hero in any story of the Bible, right? When when you're when you're reading through the Bible and you see a story about someone does something and it's it's miraculous and it's awesome or something, please never stick yourself in the awesome category. All right, that's not you. (laughs) It's always God. Okay, whenever you read the Bible and there's a hero, the hero is always Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen? But in his story, our hero Jesus chose to shed his blood for us. Friends, if that doesn't give us value, nothing else can. John 15 and verse 13, greater love, has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Hear me, hear me, hear me. If you're here today and you're hurting, you're lonely, you've been rejected, been mocked, you've been ridiculed, you've been betrayed, I don't know what your story is. We all live this broken human experience. No one has ever or will ever love you as much as the Lord Jesus Christ, and he demonstrated that love for you by dying on a cross. You have value because you are loved by God. What is the the cross? What is the death of our Savior? That's our line in the creed today. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. What, What does it show us? It shows us a lot of things. It shows us the heinous nature of our sin and the fact that God is so holy, somebody had to bridge that gap, somebody had to reconcile us, and Jesus was the only one worthy to do that. But it also shows us the love of our God. For God so loved the world that he sent, he did something, his only begotten son. And that love then, ascribes to us